I'm Chloe. It's good to see you today. It's a joy to have you joining us at Central Baptist Church today. Whether you're a familiar face or visiting for the first time, we're truly glad you're here. If you're new, we've got something special for you. There's an orange card right in front of you on your seat. Just take a moment to jot down your info and leave it on your seat. Or if you're feeling tech savvy, go ahead and scan the QR code on the screen. We'd love to connect with you and come alongside you in your spiritual walk. For those of you with little ones, don't worry, we've got you covered. Our nursery is ready to welcome infants through age five during today's service. It's a safe and fun environment where your kids can play and learn while you enjoy the service. Looking ahead to this evening, we've got some exciting things lined up. Adults, our final session of Grove classes starts at 5.30 p.m. Kids in, the, in kindergarten through fifth grade join the adventure at Kids Central Live in the Tabernacle at 5.30 p.m. And our Salt and Light students, sixth to twelfth graders, will be hanging out in the student building at 5.30. For those who want to spend some time in prayer, our House of Prayer service begins at 6 p.m. in the chapel. It's a perfect way to wrap up the day. Today at 4 p.m., the choir is coming together to practice, and your voice is more than welcome. Child care is taken care of, so no worries there. Next Sunday, it's bomb diggity time. Kids, you won't want to miss this awesome worship service at 10 a.m. in the student building. It's that time of year. It's judgment house season. And that means we need to be inviting our friends and family, co-workers, the people that we meet on the streets to be a part of this judgment house. We want everyone to hear the gospel. We have promotion materials at Grand Central that you can pick up as you invite people and they can call the church office and make a reservation. Also, walk-ins are always welcome. Now, church family, September 6th, that's a Wednesday. That's your time to go through Judgment House. There's only a few slots, so go ahead and make your reservation now. Remember, if you're working in Judgment House, you don't have to sign up for that Wednesday. You'll have plenty of opportunities to go through. Let's get people here so they can experience the gospel and make a life-altering decision as they are welcomed into the family of God. See you there. Calling all soccer fans and parents, Kid Life Soccer, our instructional soccer league for kindergartners through fifth graders, start on September 9th. Sign up your little champ online or through our church center app. Looking ahead to September 10th, get ready for Operation Christmas Child Shoebox Distribution Sunday. You'll be able to grab a shoebox and start shopping for gifts. Let's spread some holiday joy this year. And here's something cool for our little disciples. The fall session of Sundays Plus for kids in K through five begins on September 24th. They'll have the chance to choose from practical and hands-on classes. Get them signed up today through the Our Church Center app. Stay connected with us. You can catch us online at cbcdone.com or connect through the Church Center app, Facebook, and Instagram. Oh, and don't forget to grab a handout for today's service from the table in the lobby. Ushers are available in the back to assist with offerings, or you can give through our online platform. Your generosity makes a real impact here at CBC and beyond. Last but not least, could you please take a quick moment to silence your phones? It helps us all stay present and connected during our time together. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Let's dive into the service. All right, good morning, everybody. Turn to your Bibles in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you're not sure where that is, go to the New Testament, and there's a bunch of books that all end in E-N's, I-A-N-S, books that Paul wrote to the churches uh, in those cities. So you've got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, then Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So Don and Sally, you may not know them, they've been married for nine years. 
and they have a two-year-old child. One morning, they get up like normal. Don is, is having, he's having his morning devotion time. He's reading from the Word of God. Sally didn't care too much for things of God or believe the Bible. And she's over in the kitchen. She's pouring some cereal for their two-year-old. But suddenly, Don and the two-year-old vanish. Sally screams. She's devastated. A bus is traveling down 421, and then it starts veering off into a ditch. The driver, who's a Christian, and some of the passengers vanish into thin air. A teacher, a science teacher, stands before her class, prepared to teach a lesson on the fallacies of creation and Christianity. She's looking down at her notes. She notices a commotion. People are talking all around her, and there seems to be a lot of, of uncertainty what's going on. And, and she looks up, and five of her students are gone. Mr. Fuller is taking his morning stroll through Greenwood Cemetery, getting his steps in. And he notices a, a rumbling in the ground. Some of the, some of the earth is disturbed, and... Some of the headstones are even tilted over. And he's like, what's going on? And then he, it's so quick, but he thinks he sees some bodies zooming through the air. Was, his, was what his mother said about the Bible true? A teenage boy is rebellious. He's been gone out all night. His parents are worried he's sick. They've been calling everywhere. Uh, they've been trying to reach him, trying to find him. He comes home, stumbling through the door, high as a kite. His uh, parents approach him, confront him with, with what he's been, what he's been doing. They let him know they've been worried, and they let him know they're concerned about him, and they let him know that, that God is not okay with the choices he's making. He doesn't believe a word of it. And while they're talking, mid-conversation, they disappear. It's Sunday morning. The church gathers. They start singing, Are You Washed in the Blood of the Lamb? Somewhere along about the third verse, 80% of the crowd vanish. They're gone. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Imagine we hear the sound of a trumpet. And all the Christians who've ever died from every generation, every nation, they come up out of the ground, come up out of the ocean, come from their urns, wherever their bodies have been placed. And they meet the Lord in the air. And then the Christians who were alive on the earth... Uh, gravity doesn't hold them anymore either, and they're suddenly caught up to be with the Lord too. And they meet with all those saints who've gone on before. This is a, an event that is going to happen. Does anybody know what it's called? The rapture, yes. And um, rapture has, according to David Jeremiah, four meanings. It comes from the Greek word harpazo. And it has four meanings. The first meaning is to carry off by force, to carry off by force. We know that God has all-powerful. He's all-powerful, and he's going to use that power 
to not only catch us up to be, to be with him forever, but to also uh, bring forth every Christian who's ever died before. Number two, the number two meaning for the word rapture is to claim for oneself. Jesus shed his blood on the cross. He died for our sins. And for those of us who've received him as our Savior, accept him as our Savior, um, he's gonna, he, we belong to him now. He's bought us. We're all going to, uh, we all belong to him, and he's going to take us away to be with him. So it's to carry off by force, to claim for oneself. Number three, to snatch away quickly. The scripture I shared earlier from 1 Corinthians said in the, in the twinkling of an eye. So I want everybody to blink on the count of three. One, two, three. All right, good job. Um, it's going to be quicker than that. It's going to be faster than that. To carry off by force, to claim for oneself, to snatch away quickly. And the fourth meaning of the word rapture is to rescue from the danger of destruction. Uh, the next major event that will happen after the rapture is the tribulation. It's going to be a seven-year period, and there'll be a lot of difficulties, a lot of terrible things are going to happen for, and you'll hear about those in the weeks to come, for, for those who are left here on this earth. Um, but he's going he's gonna to protect us from that and rescue us from that before it happens. And it's going to end with the world being destroyed, the earth being destroyed as we know it. We get to miss all of that destruction and be with him uh, because he loves us that much. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you've got that open, verse, starting at verse 16 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. When will this happen? We don't know. Some people have tried to guess, say they know, have written books, made a lot of money off guessing when it's going to happen. But Jesus himself said no one knows the day or the hour. Uh, so we just need to be ready. And it should affect how we live. We should live rapture ready, um, making sure that everybody knows the truth of the gospel. Now everybody knows about Jesus. And then also realizing that this world is not all there is. This is temporary. We need to live with an eternal perspective, and we need to live with eternity in view and let that affect every decision we make and how we live our lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, your beautiful plan of salvation, your beautiful plan um, for how um, our lives, how this world uh, will be carried out, how, how things are going to go. And God, we trust you for that because we can't fathom how it's all going to take place, but we trust you. And I got you, God, I pray that you would help each of us to live with that perspective in mind as we go about our daily tasks, as we go to school, as we go to work, the stores, wherever we go, God, that we would live our lives with eternity in view. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we've got a brand new ministry starting. It has nothing to do with that, but watch this on the screen. My journey through grief was certainly much more difficult than what I ever imagined. There were times that I just could not concentrate on things. There's days I wake up and I don't want to do anything. It's just devastating. The grief that happens after the death of a loved one can leave you feeling confused, lost, and alone without a roadmap. But other people have traveled this grief journey before you, and there is hope and a way forward. Grief Share 
is a proven video-based support group that connects you with others who are traveling the grief journey you're on right now. Grief Share is a place where you can be as raw and as ugly as you want to be, and it's okay. I joined them online and it was great. It was wonderful. Each weekly Grief Share session consists of an insightful video with grief experts and testimonials, a small group discussion, and encouraging workbook exercises. You'll also receive free online resources and tools that help you move forward in hope and healing. I gained so much more than just understanding of grief, and I think I saw it from a bigger picture, too. Visit griefshare.org to learn more. Death is a devastating, unfortunate part of our life. And so often when we face it, we don't know exactly how to process it, what to do with it. And this ministry is born out of a Christian response to death and how to help and work through that process. And this is a um, like small group that is going to be led by Joey and Diane Yelberton, who are in the back right here. Joey and Diane, if you can raise your hand. And towards the, at the end of the service, they're going to be back at Grand Central with a sign-up, and they're going to be able to answer any questions that you might have or any um, information that you might need. This is going to start up in September, and space is limited, and we want to make sure that you have an opportunity to be a part of this ministry if this is something that you are facing. And so we just wanted to make this opportunity available. So remember, at the end of the service, they're going to be back at Grand Central. But now I believe Pastor Jeremy has the next part of our, um, there you are, the next part of our service. All right. Thank you, Pastor James. Today is a super exciting Sunday. Our kindergartners move from the preschool ministry into our kids central ministry. So for moms, this is a bittersweet morning as they watch uh, this next step in their kids' lives. And for dads, they're just like, man, please don't fall off of that stage. <clears throat> so as Miss Becca calls the name of our um, preschool, make sure you cheer for them as they take the next step in this spiritual journey. Like Jeremy said, you can clap for them as they walk across. This is a huge milestone. We are going to miss them terribly and their teachers, but we are very excited for this next adventure they are about to take. First, we have Abby Ashworth. Come right here. Next, we have Amelia Bass. Pablo Cruz Vanilla. Dressel. Thank you. 
Ivory Hernandez. Luke Husky. Leo King. Last but not least, we have Lincoln Swineshop. Let's give all of our graduates one last round of applause. Thank you. Uh, let's also give our preschool staff led by Miss Becca and Miss Jennifer, a big hand for pouring into these kids. <clears throat> now, parents, especially of our kindergartners, but of everybody in elementary school, we promised these guys we'd celebrate tonight with a giant inflatable slide. 5.30, don't be the mean parent who doesn't bring your kid back to church to hang out on the slide. 5.30 tonight. Hey, good promo, Pastor Jeremy. Hey, let's stand together. Tell somebody you love them. Choir, come on up. Lead us in worship. on this journey I get lost in my mistakes 
What looks to me like weakness is a canvas for your strength. And my story isn't over, my story's just begun. Failure won't define me, cause that's what my father does. Yeah, failure won't define me, cause that's what my father does.
Psalm 34, 1 through 3 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Let's stand and exalt the Lord together. Thank you. 
this next song is one that we did at camp and a lot of the teens really enjoyed and we wanted to share it with you guys. I can see you now surrounding your throne saints and angels standing in your glory and I can hear you now joining in the sound all creation singing holy holy you were the
this next part with us? Father, we exalt your name this morning. We've been led into your presence in worship, and we exalt your name. Your, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You are the Lord who has created all and the one who rules over all. Father, we thank you this morning for the victory that was won at Calvary. And we're thankful that we get to continue to live in that victory. We praise you that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us and gave himself for us. We rejoice that, as your word says, we have overcome with the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. We attribute to you all glory and honor to you and you alone. Lord, today we ask that you will lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one that you will empower us by your grace to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand, knowing that the weapons of our warfare are not of this flesh, but they are mighty through your power to the pulling down of strongholds. We ask, Father, that you will enable us by your Holy Spirit to put on the whole armor of God and to engage in the spiritual warfare that we face daily. Father, lead us to cast down the imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and Lord, to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Lord, our only hope in this world, our only hope against sin and temptation and against Satan's work and Satan's forces is the power of your Holy Spirit, the blood of Jesus Christ and the testimony of our faith. And above all, your sovereign power. We thank you that through you we do not have to fear the roaring lion who is seeking to devour us. We rest safely and securely in your preserving grace. Our prayer and our petition we make to you today in the name of our Savior Jesus Christ and in the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, what a privilege to be in the house of God this morning. The songs of worship have just helped prepare students. Thank you for those songs. Thank you for everyone that had a part in that. Pastor Darren, thank you for the word about the rapture this morning. That always comforts my heart, but it also challenges and convicts me. And um, some of y'all, when that, when that trumpet sounded, some of y'all about jumped out of your seats. Some of you weren't sure why you weren't going up. You were getting a little concerned. But what a great reminder Over these next weeks, we are looking at the events that are to come, an unveiling of future events. That's really what the word, we're not doing a study of revelation, but that's what the word revelation means. It is apocalypse, it is the unveiling. And we want to look at some different truths, some different aspects of future events. 
Each of our pastors will be sharing in the early part of the service some truths about the upcoming events through the eyes or from the position of believers, what they're going to experience, such as the rapture. Next week, we'll be looking at the judgment seat of Christ. Um, and then each week, we'll look through, they'll bring a different truth about that. Then as I preach, I want to preach to you on the unveiling of some things and some elements from the side of the unbeliever, some things that are taking place in this earth, not from a heavenly point of view necessarily, but from the earthly point of view. There's a lot of concern, a lot of interest in these topics, and many times, if we're not careful, we as Christians will get sidetracked, we'll get, we'll get our attention diverted from what it needs to be on, and we'll focus on these things. And I hope that you'll see some truths from this this morning. We're going to focus this morning on unveiling the man of sin. Now, there's a lot of names for this individual throughout Scripture, and I could go this morning, there's a list that I have, uh, the several writers through history um, um, that have Arthur Pink and, and um, Warren Wearsby and others, and, and have, they've accumulated names that are listed through Scripture. And there's much Scripture that talks about this individual. We're going to focus our attention on Revelation chapter 13. As you're turning there, if you're taking notes, let me give you a couple of passages. I'm going to refer to these briefly this morning, that we won't turn there, but I want to encourage you to go later and read these passages. Two chapters from the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 9. Not the entire chapters, but portion of these chapters will talk about this man of sin. We often use the term the Antichrist. That's the term that I'll use this morning. But he is only referred to as the Antichrist in the epistles of John. And where John speaks about the Antichrist, he speaks about the Antichrists and the spirit of Antichrist. But the description that is given there fits the description that is given in these other passages about this same individual. <clears throat> Another very important passage that we'll reference several times this morning is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Again, we won't turn there, but we'll reference it. I encourage you to go back and read it later. That chapter speaks a great deal about this individual, what he is like, and what he will do. And then we come to Revelation chapter 13. Throughout the book of Revelation, there are references to this individual. Here he is referred to as the beast. Now, this points to the fact that in God's estimation, the individual is not conducting himself. He is not viewed as a human being, but as an animal, one that is given to animal desires and animal lusts, and one that is not seeking to... He is given completely, really, over to Satan. And so we'll see this this morning as we look through this chapter. Through history, there have been a lot of of individuals. We love trying to identify the unknown individuals. If you look at history and you look at um, literature and you look at entertainment, we always like to try to figure out who the unknown person is. Um, it might be, uh, you know, who was it that shot JFK? And of course, some people say, well, we know it was Lee Harvey Oswald, and others say, well, we're not quite sure that's who it was. There was a shooter on the grassy knoll, and there's, there's that lady standing over there with a the thing on her head, and we always want to identify, we always want to have some special knowledge into who that person was. Some of y'all will remember the question that was asked, that great important question, who was that masked man? How many of y'all remember, some of y'all remember that, okay? Trying to identify, the Lone Ranger. Some of y'all are just still trying to figure out who shot J.R., you don't even know. <laughs> but we like to know that special insight, that special knowledge of, uh, of who did this and who this person was. 
And so we've tried to identify the Antichrist. People throughout history have said, well, it's this person. It's, it's the Roman general and, and Caesar Titus, and it's Nero, and it's Constantine, and, well, it's the popes. And then there's others on the other side that said, well, it's Martin Luther and the Reformation, and it's, it's Napoleon, and it's Abraham Lincoln. I'm not sure who would think Abraham Lincoln was some uh, Jewish European leader, but apparently they did. And they have all these identifications, John F. Kennedy, Ronald Reagan, and in more recent times, so Mikhail Gorbachev, y'all remember when he had the, the birthmark on his head and people said, ah, there's the mark in his forehead. Clearly, he's the Antichrist. There's all these identifications about who he is, and the fact is, the Bible says he's not going to be revealed until God's ready for him to be revealed. So when you see speculation about, well, this person is, and in recent times, it's it's this president and it's this world leader. God doesn't, has not revealed that yet. His, his name, his identity has not been made known. But in these passages, the Bible does give us some things about the Antichrist, who he is and what he will do. We'll begin reading in verse 1 of Revelation chapter 13. I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea. I want to just take a moment and remind you that in the book of Revelation, there is figurative language, there, are, there is imagery that is used to identify certain things. In prophetic writings, the same thing happens. You go to the book of Daniel, and much of what we see here this morning is understood in light of the book of Daniel. This beast that arises, if you count the, the four beasts of Daniel chapter 7, if you count their heads and their horns, you get the same total that is here. If you take the beasts that are mentioned there, they are combined into one beast in this. Now, there's various identifications of who those beasts are, the lion and the bear and the leopard, and they say, well, this is this empire and this is this empire. Some people say it's ancient empires. Some believe it is more modern empires. But whatever you identify them as, this government that this leader rises out of will be a conglomeration of the remnants of those empires. It will be a world empire. It will be the one last gasp effort of mankind that they have since the Tower of Babel when they have said, we will join together to shake our fist in the face of God. And this leader will be that world leader. What all that's going to look like, there's some speculation and there's some uncertainty. But the Bible is clear that he will be a powerful, powerful leader. He will be an evil leader. Notice what it says about him. He has seven, this beast that arises has seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Blasphemy against God is one of the distinguishing characteristics of this individual. I believe that he will have no problem if he were around today, and if he is around today, he will have no problem fitting in. We live in a world that is not only open to blasphemy, they celebrate and embrace blasphemy against God. And so on his head, the name of blasphemy. Notice that he has a name written on his head. We're going to encounter the true Christ later, and he has a name written which no man knew except he himself. He has a name that he is the word of God. And so in counter to this, Satan's Christ, Satan's antichrist, will also do things and have characteristics that are in opposition to and try to be deceptive of the things that are true about Christ. And one of those is he has a name, but his name is a name of blasphemy. The beast which I saw was like unto a leopard. His feet were as the feet of a bear. His mouth is the mouth of a lion and the dragon. 
I mean, the dragon is in chapter 12. We'll mention him more in just a moment. But this is Satan, the dragon that's described in the serpent in chapter 12 that we've just, we're just past is speaking of Satan. So Satan gave him his power and his seat and great authority. He is not empowered by God. He is allowed by God, and he is used by God. But his power comes from Satan. As we look at this, and what does the Bible tell us about this individual? Well, what we know up to this point, at least some of the things that I'll mention that we know, we know, first of all, that this world leader will arise as a man of peace. In Revelation chapter 6 and verse 2, he says, I saw a white horse. This is at the beginning of the time of trouble, the time of tribulation. And he sees this individual on a white horse. We immediately sometimes think of a, the one on the white horse. Well, that's speaking of Christ. Christ will be riding on a white horse in Revelation chapter 19. But when he comes, there is a sword that proceeds out of his mouth. He comes to win the battle. But this writer in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 2 is writing, and he says he has a bow, but he has no arrows. He is a a man of peace. He has a disarmament plan. It seems as if he will somehow make a covenant, a seven-year covenant with the nation of Israel. And in doing so, he will provide protection for them, but he will also resolve the conflict between the Arabs and and the Israelis. Boy, can you imagine what a leader today would be lauded in this world. People would be amazed and wonder if someone could resolve this this decades, ages-old conflict between these two peoples. And so he comes as a man of peace. The Bible speaks about those that say peace, peace, when there is no peace. He says be careful when they they cry peace and safety. Sudden destruction will come upon them as upon a woman with child. And so he comes as a man of peace. He will make this this covenant of peace with, with God's people. This will allow the nation to rebuild the temple. They will reinstitute the worship and the practices of worship. Do you know there are people today, and some people say, well, this is the clear sign that we're in the last days. I don't know. It means that we're ready for what will take place. But there are already those in the nation of Israel who are training the priests who will serve in this temple. They're already preparing the sacrifices. They're already getting ready the various animals that will be needed. To, once this happens, doesn't mean it's going to happen in the next day or so, but it means that when it happens, this world will be ready. If there's anything we have learned in the last three years is how rapidly and dramatically world events can change and things can happen quickly. And someone who is relatively unknown can be thrust into a place of prominence and power. And people will be willing to give up authority and power to people because of concerns. And when this person steps in, this man steps in as a man of peace, and the world is going to go right along with him. And then there's going to be this deadly wound that's described. Notice the wonder of the Antichrist. In verse 3, I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. Now this is not speaking of the individual's head. This is speaking of the governmental system. Throughout this section, when you see the beast it will sometimes be referring to the individual, and sometimes, as is often the case, we identify a government by the individual or a governmental system. We often speak of the president's administration or the president has done this, and we're talking about the governmental system that is taking, uh, has authority. That's what this is talking about. So one of, the, one of the heads, there's some kind of a deadly wound that happens, and he says his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. 
This man is going to create great wonder. Now, it's very interesting what is transpiring here, what is taking place. Here is, here is Satan's counterfeit Christ. Now, we understand that God in the Trinity, there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And God the Son is Christ. Satan also has a trinity, and we see in these chapters that exact thing. I'm not going to take the time to go into it this morning, but in chapter 12, you have Satan's counter to God the Father. You have the dragon. You have Satan himself. Do you remember what Satan said when he rebelled against God? I will be like the Most High. And so cast down from heaven into this environment on earth is going to be the dragon. It's going to be Satan himself. And then up from the sea, from the peoples of the earth, there's going to come this beast that is the Antichrist, the one who is the, this, the false Christ. And then later in this chapter, you're going to see a third beast that is the voice, the prophet of this trinity that counters the Holy Spirit. Satan thinks he can be like the Most High. And yet, in his attempt to replace Christ with this Antichrist, he is going to point toward Christ. I love how God takes Satan's best attempts to undo his work and his purpose, and God turns it on his head and accomplishes his own purpose. I'm glad that it doesn't look. We can look at this world, and a lot of people get disturbed. They, are, they lack calm, and they lack peace, and they worry about this taking place and this taking place. And let me tell you, it doesn't, it doesn't keep me awake one bit at night. It takes me about two seconds after my head hits the pillow to go to sleep. I can sit down to watch a television program, and before the opening credits are through, I'm already asleep. That's how much this kind of stuff troubles me. I was so bad the other day, I sat down, and I woke up, and I looked, and I was still going through the guide. I hadn't even chosen anything, and I'd already fallen asleep. But some people are so disturbed, they go on social media, and this person's identified this as this, and this is going to happen. And, oh, no, they're putting chips in their hands. Hey, you want to put some chips in my hand, you better have some dip with it. That's all i got to say. But they put implants. They put the computer chips into your hand, and oh, no, what does that mean? It means they have a computer chip in their hand. Now, is that possibly the way that they're going to put the mark of the beast in someone's forehead or hand? Yes, it might be. But you know what? Being opposed to all that is not going to stop it. This is going to happen. This is not science fiction. It's not some... This is what's going to happen. So those things, you can get all rolled up about it and disturbed about it, but Satan is not going to succeed in what he does. And this trinity is going to cause wonder. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 says, His coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. The words for powers and signs and wonders are the same words that are used to describe what Jesus did was here on, on this earth. But you see the difference? These are lying wonders. These are deceptions. And he's going to fool this world. It's not hard to see how he's going to do it. He will get certain elements within our society on his side, and they're going to be on his side, and boy, people will believe whatever he wants them to believe because he is a deceiver. Notice the worship of the Antichrist. They will wonder at him, and then they will worship him. Verse 4, they worshiped the dragon, which gave power to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Down in verse 8, 
All that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. In the middle of the seven-year period, the Antichrist will break that covenant with the nation of Israel. After three and a half years, he will enter into that rebuilt temple and he will set himself up as God. And he will expect to be worshipped as God in the temple. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27 speaks about this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4 says, The son of perdition opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. In other words, he's convinced himself Satan thinks he has succeeded. I will be like the Most High. And Satan sits there on the, in the temple and says, now they're going to worship me as God. I have succeeded. And the Bible says that the, the world is going to worship him. And all those whose names are not written in the book of the Lamb, the one slain before the foundation of the world. Do you catch that little subtle jab that God gets in there through John? Who is the one who is going to conquer who is the one who is going to defeat this Antichrist? The one who is the true Christ. Listen to me carefully. If you get anything from this sermon, understand, don't focus on the Antichrist. Look to Jesus Christ. He's the one who is the answer. He's the one that Satan is simply trying to mimic. And we can get so caught up in, is this leader the Antichrist? And is this person the Antichrist? And is this part of what's going to take place? And we can miss the fact that Jesus Christ is the one who has already come and he has already revealed to us the word of God. And he's the one that has already conquered. In fact, he's the lamb slain. Did you catch that? Before the foundation of the world. Before Satan ever rebelled, in fact, before Satan was ever created, God already had the true Christ who was the sacrifice and who was the lamb that was slain. And it is the lamb that will conquer. And they over, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 12, and they overcame the devil by the blood of who? The lamb. And by the word of their testimony. God says here, <clears throat> Anybody whose name was not written in his book worshipped him. The Bible also says something about the words of the Antichrist in verse 5 and 6. There was given unto him a mouth speaking great things. And here's the word that marks the Antichrist and what? Blasphemies. Power was given him to continue 40 and 2 months. That's three and a half years, the last portion of that seven-year period. And he opened his mouth in what? Blasphemy against God to blaspheme and his tabernacle and them that dwell in the earth. The Bible tells us and the book of Revelation tells us that everything that Jesus had done while he was on this earth, the Antichrist will attempt to do. He will mock, he will model, he will try to deceive the world and the words that he speaks, the message that he speaks will do just that. Some of the things that Christ did that the Antichrist will do the Antichrist will claim to be God. Jesus was God. The Antichrist will claim to be God. The Antichrist will make a covenant with Israel. He will appear in the temple just as Jesus did. He will be crowned and worshipped from signs and wonders. He will seem to be put to death or perhaps be put to death and then resurrected or seem to be resurrected. All in an attempt of Satan to say, here's my Christ. I want to tell you that he is a false Christ. Jesus speaks about those false Christs. John speaks about them. Paul speaks about this man that will come. 
and there will be those who are deceived by it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 11, God shall send them strong delusion so that they will believe a lie. People will be persuaded. You see, we often think of Satan coming with evil. This man will come appearing to be what Christ was, appearing to be a deliverer, appearing to be a man of peace, and the world will fall for it, and God will cause them to fall for it. He will send them a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie and the words that are spoken by the Antichrist. This man will have an unusual power of speech. He will be a person who will be persuasive. Boy, that eliminates some certain leaders in our world today, doesn't it? He'll have the ability to speak eloquently, and along with that, there will be that unusual draw. People speak, for example, about Adolf Hitler and if you listen to some of his speech, I don't understand German, but I've often wondered what was, the, what was the power of his words. And there are those that have written about being there to hear him speak, and they said there was an unusual power on that man that just drew you in. I believe that that is an example of the satanic power that the, that the Antichrist will have. But then notice, lastly, the Bible describes the war of the Antichrist in verse 7. It was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. There's going to be war against those who are believers during that time. The church taken out, there will be those who are saved during the tribulation. Some believe that those who have heard the gospel will not be able to because they will believe that strong delusion. Others believe that there will be those, many that are saved, the Bible speaks of the great multitudes coming out of tribulation who are, who are redeemed. I don't know what exactly it's going to be like, but I want to tell you, if you're counting on tr trusting Christ during the tribulation, don't count on that. The Bible says now is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Don't put off trusting Christ until it's too late. But this war will take place, and he will attack God's people. But what's going to happen? I want to close this morning with two simple truths from this, from this text and from this truth. You see, we can look at the Antichrist and we can get all caught up. Boy, everybody gets down to that last verse. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of the man, and his number is 603 score and six. And everybody's tried to figure out from that who the Antichrist is. Let me tell you, the Bible says, let he that hath wisdom, and I suspect most of our wisdom levels are probably not up to it, so we probably need to stay out of it. A man said one time, he said, I know exactly who the Antichrist is. I figured it out from this verse. And he said, who, who is it? He said, it's Henry Kissinger. Most of y'all don't even remember who Henry Kissinger is or don't know who Henry Kissinger is. How did he figure that out? He said, well, you take the alphabet, A through Z, and you number it, one, A1, B2, so forth, all the way down, and then you take the letters of Kissinger's last name, K-I-S-S-I-N-G-E-R, and you take the numerical number, and you add them all up together, and you get 111. And you multiply it by the number of man in the Bible, the number six, and you get 666. But just be careful with that, because you may be able to do the same thing with your name. Some of y'all already got your calculators out on your phone. I'm going to check that out. Everybody wants to know this is who, who this is. Look, it doesn't matter. There's two truths in this. Number one, I want to remind you of the Antichrist's defeat. What is going to take place when he makes war against God's people? 
when he shakes his fist against God, when he rebels against God. Look over to chapter 19. I want you to see this. Here's how it turns out. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 19. John says, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse, that's Christ, and against his army, that's the church, that's the bride of Christ coming after the marriage supper and the marriage of the Lamb. Look at verse 20. And the beast was taken, that's the one from we just saw in chapter 13, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, that's the end of chapter 13, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. How does this war turn out? These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Why does it not matter to me? Because I know how it turns out. It matters because God put it in his word, but I'm not losing any sleep over it. I'm not concerned over it. I'm glad to know I know how the war ends. I know how the battle ends. A lot of times when you're reading a story and you're concerned about how it's going to turn out or you're watching a television program or a movie and the, the hero of the story is in trouble and you're wondering how they're going to, if you're watching a TV program, you know that they're going to be back at the next episode so you know they're pretty safe no matter how bad it gets. But you worry, man, you're, the tension that's building and in this story we can look at this and it seems as if God is absent from chapter 13. It seems as if there's nothing good going to happen from this. It's, he's given all this power and the entire world is listening to him and those that aren't listening to him he is making war against and he's succeeding in it but I'm glad that's not the end of the story I'm glad that's not how things turn out I'm glad that it ends with this verse and it's what he describes in 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8 whom the Lord speaking of the Antichrist whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Jesus Christ is going to return, and this Antichrist is going to bring one more war against God. And what began thousands of years ago when Satan rebelled against God will finally culminate with him being put down. And what was described in Genesis when he said the serpent shall bruise his heel, but he will crush the serpent's head. The serpent's head will be crushed, and it's already done. We're living in victory now as if it's already completed. The battle's already been won. The war's already over. It's yet to be fought, but the victory is there, and we have that victory in Christ. That's the defeat of the Antichrist. Look, don't get caught up in all these things. Don't get disturbed. Don't be pulled aside. Don't, don't allow worry to get into your mind. God's in control of all of it. The sovereignty of God is a pillow well worth resting on because he's in control. The second truth that I want you to draw from this this morning is this. Not just Satan's defeat, the Antichrist's defeat, but it's your decision. Which way will you choose? Will you choose the Antichrist or will you choose Jesus Christ? You say, well, Pastor... The Antichrist isn't here, and so I, I clearly would not follow the Antichrist. John said, even now there are already many Antichrists in this world. Those things that are against Christ. The spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in this world. The mystery of iniquity, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the mystery of iniquity is already at work. And you may not ever have to face the actual choice of listening and being deceived by the Antichrist. 
There are those who are turning away from Christ and they're choosing the way of the world. They're choosing their way to go. If that's the decision you're facing this morning, please don't take, don't follow the way of the world. Don't follow the way of the Antichrist. Follow the way of Jesus. He's the true Christ. He's the one who is real. He's the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by Him. So this morning, don't be deceived by Satan into thinking that you're okay. The way of the Antichrist is self-worship and self-affirmation. Don't follow after your way. Follow after God's way. This morning, if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a decision. You're faced with a choice. Will I follow Satan or will I follow God? Will I follow the Antichrist or the spirit of Antichrist or will I follow the spirit of Christ that is speaking to me right now and telling me that I need to trust him? God loves you so much that he sent his son, the true Christ, to this earth to die on the cross. His death paid for your sins. The Antichrist is just what's in it for him and worship for him. Jesus says, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. This morning, you can come to this altar. One of our pastors will speak with you. Or right where you are, you can pray. And you can say something very simple like this. You can say it in your own words, but what matters is the faith that's in your heart. And you may say, God, I realize that I'm a sinner. And there's nothing that I can do to save myself. But I believe that Jesus Christ died for me. I believe that he rose from the dead and I want to profess him as my Savior and as my Lord, the Lord of my life. When you do that, the Bible says that your name is written in the book of life of the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That is how we have the promise of heaven. That is how we can look at all these end time events and we don't have to be fearful about the Antichrist because we trust in Christ. I want you to do that this morning. So please don't leave here today, whether you come down and talk to one of us at the front, whether you pray right in your seat, or whether you talk to us one afterwards. To the, those of us who are believers, can I just say one word quickly? Are you ready for the rapture? We're not going to be around when the Antichrist gets here. But are you ready for that trumpet to sound? Are you ready for Christ to return? Are you living with that eternal view? Are you living rapture ready? Are you ready for him to come back? Father, I pray this morning that our hearts will be ready. Speak to us in this moment. And Father, I pray that if there's one here that is facing that decision, will I go my way or will I follow Christ? Will I follow the world's way and listen, be deceived by the devil? Or will I answer the call of Christ to salvation? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Father, I pray that they will hear your call this morning, and today will be the day of salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. We're standing to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. As the music plays this morning, if maybe God has placed someone in your heart that is not ready for these things, and you need to pray for them, you want to come and kneel in prayer, maybe there's another need or another burden, or this morning you've never trusted Christ, I want to invite you to come. May this be the day 
when you make that decision. Most important decision of your life. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? They overcame the devil. There are those who are fearful. There are those that any talk about Satan or the Antichrist or these times, they get, they get disturbed. I wanted you to know that through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and the word of your testimony, Satan has already been defeated. Victory has already been won at Calvary. You can live. You can experience that victory. Father, I pray this morning that you will help us to live in the victory that you have won. Thank you, Father, that when we look to this final, last battle, this last attempt of Satan to mimic Christ, to deceive the world, that, Lord, it will ultimately fail because you are a God who is in control. You are a Christ, a Savior who has won. And we give you praise. We give you glory. Father, help us to rest in that victory. Help us to rest in the strength of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray this morning for those who do not know you, and I believe there are some in this service this morning that have not yet trusted you. I pray that they will not put it off a moment longer. Lord, the, the rapture, your return could happen. And Father, they could be deceived. May they hear the promise that today is the day of salvation. Now, now, now is the accepted time. Father, help us as the church to realize the urgency of the moment that the rapture could happen at any moment. We have loved ones that need to hear the gospel. Father, we have so much work to be done. Help us to be found faithful so that when you appear, we can stand before you with confidence and not be ashamed at your coming. May that be true of us as individuals. May it be true of us as a church, your people. In Jesus' name.